Thanks, Sile. We'll see you later. It's a five minutes past 12. This is Midday Live, SAFM 104 to 107, right here on SFM. And uh, we'll look at uh, another Somali-owned shop uh, uh, being looted and set alight in Port Elizabeth. We're told right now there's looting going on everywhere and police have been deployed there. So we'll be looking at that uh, particular story happening at Seyisi uh, in the new Brighton, Guazakele area. And uh, also still to come, the owner of the truck involved in the crash at Phil's Hill that has uh, claimed the 23 lives will address the media today so we'll be looking at uh, that uh, particular story and we heard of uh, two of uh, the so-called Vatterklaw 4 uh, having been notified uh, by the North Houghton High Court uh, of its intention to appeal or rather notifying the, the court of their intention to appeal against a judgment ordering them to return to jail just some of the stories that uh, we are tracking right here on Midday Live and of course we ask you this weekend how was your weekend did you enjoy it did you enjoy the uh, that test match between uh, the Springboks and, and the Kiwis and uh, thanks largely to the French uh, uh, referee there we lost that match of course uh, since beating uh, Bismarck Duplessis early in the match really crippled the boys but uh, they tried to come back and uh, he redeemed himself immediately when he got back and he scored the try but really that red card uh, Nick Mallet was really angry if you heard him giving the analysis. Just uh, some of the things happened over the weekend. Of course, Orlando Pirates going down 1-0. Now they have uh, everything to, to do, really, to, to, to advance to the last four. And, of course, Kaiser Chiefs easily going through. And uh, Arsenal, of course. Had to be mentioned. But uh, our top story this hour this week sets our way by elections in Pochestrom in the northwest are in limbo ahead of an electoral court ruling on the fate of six disqualified potential independent candidates. Last week, the independent candidates filed court papers challenging the IEC's decision to disqualify them from Wednesday's by election. The vote will decide whether the ANC can wrest control of Tlogwe back from the DA. There's been speculation that uh, the by-elections could be postponed if the court rules in uh, the candidates' favour. But uh, this uh, weekend, uh, Northwest Provincial Chairperson Supra Mahumapilum and his uh, counterpart from the Free State, S. Mahashule, told hundreds of uh, ANC members uh, that the ANC is going to win the by-election set to be held on Wednesday. Both Mahumapilo and Mahashule shared the stage at an election rally held at uh, Sarafina Stadium in Ikacheng Township. Patrick Dinto reports. The ANC's rally was regarded as a culmination of its electioneering campaign for the highly contested Tlokwe municipal by-elections. The party has employed all its resources in ensuring to reclaim Tlokwe. ANC volunteers across the northwest and free state provinces had to go door-to-door before attending the rally. The rally, which was addressed by both Supra Mahumapelo and Ace Mahashule, was regarded as a victory celebration. Northwest AAC Provincial Chairperson Supra Mahumapelo says they have done all the groundwork in order to ascertain their victory. This is going to emerge victorious. There's no problem about it. There's no, there's no question uh, about that. We are not arrogant. We are humble servants of the people. We are saying so because the people said we are, they are going to vote for the African National Congress. And the people are unambiguous. They say we want the African National Congress to lead us here in Tlokwe. 
And uh, that's uh, Suprama Humapilo there. He is uh, the Northwest uh, ANC Provincial Chairperson. Let's talk to Patrick, Patrick Dinto, our reporter who brought us that story, but he's on the line to, to us right now uh, in, uh, from Pochestrom. Uh, Patrick, good afternoon to you. Uh, good afternoon, uh, Bongi. And uh, uh, Supra and uh, the, the uh, Free State Premier Ace Mahashule telling hundreds of ANC members there that uh, the ANC is going to win the by-election on Wednesday. W- let's start right there. I mean, you've been there, you've been following them, but uh, importantly, you've been uh, also monitoring the mood on the ground in the Pochefstrom area. What can you tell us broadly? Uh, no, uh, Bongi, uh, you, you're right when you say we've been following this. We have been in Clockwork since uh, the past weekend, where, you know, uh, uh, all the parties that are contesting, you know, by elections here, specifically uh, the DA and, and, and the ANC, and, of course, the independent candidates, they have been doing, you know, door-to-door, you know, campaigning. We have seen several incidents of, of violence, you know, occurring particularly on Saturday where uh, eight people were injured, uh, two from the uh, supporters of the independent candidates and, you know, the remaining six being uh, of the ANC. After we have seen uh, a group of uh, volunteers from the Free State uh, led by uh, the chairperson, uh, Ace Mahashule were doing door-to-door in assisting the Northwest in ensuring that they are going to win this by elections. What I can say, uh, Bongi, is that the mood is very high. Uh, there is, you know, an electionary mood. Uh, when we talk to people, people are, you know, raising their mixed uh, feelings. Some are saying they are not going to vote the ANC because the ANC is full of corruption. And, you know, independence candidates also, they've got uh, support. Uh, what I can tell you is that what 18, uh, which is highly contested by the ANC and the, and the DA, it is where things are, are happening. Mm. Uh, like I'm saying, uh, Bongi, the mood is, is, is very, very high. Uh, it's an electionary uh, mood. Uh, but, uh, uh, Patrick, uh, what business does uh, Ace Mahashula, the Premier of uh, Free State, has with, uh, with Tlok? Uh, is this maybe a, a beefing up? Is this a realization somewhat that uh, Tlok might just be beyond uh, the, the ANC Northwest? We saw also heavy Weights, ANC heavyweights uh, uh, converging on uh, uh, Tlok, where you saw uh, the Treasurer General Zuelim Kize was there last week. We saw the Deputy President of the ANC, Cyril Ramaphosa, was there. And uh, in recent past, really, we saw, uh, we've seen uh, uh, Jesse Duarte also being there. So really, it, uh, isn't this, uh, can it be interpreted really as a realization that this is very critical for the ANC and maybe, just maybe, it might just be beyond them? Yes, indeed, uh, Bongi. Uh the ANC is saying uh, Tlokwe is very important to them. Uh, you know, the ANC, in order for the ANC to win back Tlokwe, it is very critical. Even H. Mahashule, yesterday when we spoke to him, uh, he said to us, he said he's a member of the NEC. So as a result, uh, they, they have taken the decision at the NEC meeting that uh, all provinces that are nearer to, to, to Tlokwe, uh, meaning your, your free state, Houteng, and the Northern Cape, must come and, and, and assist the, uh, the ANC in Tlokwe. Because what they are saying is that uh, ANC is a unitary, is a unitary uh, you know, organization. It doesn't matter whether uh, the ANC lose here, it means... Uh, the ANC nationally is losing. So what they are saying is a matter of reinforcing and, and ensuring that uh, uh, 
the ANC, you know, reclaim uh, again. But 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 uh, like you see, uh, uh, this Tlokwe uh, municipality, it is very important uh, for both the DEA and, and, and the ANC. You also uh, uh, know that the history of this town, uh, this town uh, specifically, uh, is predominantly white control. Uh, there are a lot of whites in this area. So as a result, if the if the DA wins this uh, town, it means uh, the authority of, of, of the DA, which predominantly are white in this area, will be maintained. And the ANC is saying, Tokwe uh, does not want to transform. You take the university as an example, which is predominantly uh, white, the, the language there, predominantly still Africans. What they are saying is, they want to take Tokwe uh, back, and, and when they've uh, taken Tokwe back, they will now be going to to, to, to the university and, 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 and ensure that there is a lot of transformation in the town itself and, and, the, and, and in the university. All right, finally, let's talk about uh, the by-election schedule for Wednesday. So it's uh, just uh, over 24, 48 hours from now, uh, 36 hours even. Uh, and we, we, we see here that uh, that election is in limbo because uh, the, the electoral court has to make a ruling uh, on the fate of uh, the six disqualified uh, potential independent candidates. Now, if they if they are allowed to 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 participate, then it will have to be postponed. So, what are you hearing about this uh, by election on Wednesday? Uh, Bongi, the, the information that we have just got this morning is that uh, the, the electoral court, which is sitting in, in, in Bloemfontein, is currently on. But, but the electoral court does not operate like your normal uh, criminal courts on, or the high court, where people are coming and then there's a hearing. What happened here is that the complainants and, 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 and the respondents, the respondents in this regard is the IEC and the complainants are the independent candidates. They are filing their uh, uh, documents, and then the judges will be perusing uh, those, uh, you know, arguments, you know, as submitted, and then they make a ruling. And then I can confirm this morning that uh, uh, what we also have this morning is that uh, on record, the IEC uh, in the province uh, has told us that the local head of the IEC in Kaukwe specifically has been put on, on precautionary leave because uh, there are allegations that uh, he, 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 he had, you know, he has hidden some uh, documents from the independent candidates that made them to be disqualified. And okay. that on its own is, is, is an argument that uh, the independent candidates have submitted. What is, what is expected here is that uh, tomorrow uh, uh, the, the, the by-elections are starting for, with the special votes and on Wednesday is, is the uh, uh, main uh, you know, by-election. So we we expecting that the electoral court might you know, because this matter has been treated as agent, might, you know, uh, give verdict this afternoon uh, okay. just before tomorrow's uh, special vote. Patrick Dintua, thank you very much, our reporter in the Northwest. Let's talk now to our reporter, Lila Magnus. Uh, the North Houghton High Court has ruled that uh, two of the so-called Vatterclaw 4 must report back to prison by the 23rd of this month. Gert van Skakweg and uh, Reinach Tiert were released on uh, correctional supervision on the 15th of December 2011 after serving only three years and four months of their 12-year sentence for murdering a homeless man in 2001. The Department of Correctional Services is appealing the ruling, arguing that uh, an amendment to the Correctional Services Act was misinterpreted by the magistrate who converted their sentences to correctional services. Lila, what's the latest? uh, What can you tell us about this one? 
Well, like you said, the two men now have to go back to um, jail after they spent 18 months outside prison. They were um, their sentences were converted to correctional uh, supervision, house arrest, and community service. Um, this has been a court battle that's basically been going on for more than 10 years, with the four men, you know, being accused of killing the homeless man in 2011, then being sentenced to 12 years. Um, in prison, and then being released December 2011, just to be now to hear that they have to go back to prison and complete the rest of their sentences. And this is only because of the interpretation of an amendment to the Criminal Procedures um, Law Act, basically. And, Where, and, sorry? and, and they're not going to take this lying down? No, they're not going to take this lying down. They already indicated they are going to appeal to the Supreme Court of Appeals, and this is one of the reasons why the 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 the, the, the Minister for Correctional Services indicated during the court case today that they want them to go back to prison while the appeal process is going on, because they're saying they're going to abuse the court administration and the court process and try to stay out of jail as long as possible while the appeal process is going on. Hmm. And uh, the, the misinterpretation of uh, of of the of the uh, of the of the act uh, is what I'm trying to say. Really, how how, how possible is that for, for for a judge to even release the the, the four men merely on not understanding uh, the, the the act? And that, that's what now Correctional Services is saying that, uh, that 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 act that got them out in the first place was misinterpreted. Yes. It is an amendment that was made to the Criminal Procedure Act in April this year, 2012, sorry, in April 2012. And according to the amendment, a prisoner cannot be released or his sentence cannot be converted to correctional services if he still has five years left on his, you know, on his sentence. And the magistrate at the, at the time who um, handled the appeal was convinced and assured that the pair were ideal candidates to have the remainder of their prison sentence converted to correctional services. There were social worker reports and everything. So because the men were sentenced before the amendment, the magistrate understood that, you know, the amendment then does not apply. And when the correctional services went to the High Court to appeal the magistrate's decision, they said, no, that is not correct. The, the amendment do apply to people who were sentenced before the amendment was made. But um, the two men's advocate, Jobs Foyer, saying this matter must go to the Supreme Court of Appeal or even to the Constitutional Court because, um, you know, there must be a conclusive uh, ruling from a high court saying how this amendment must be interpreted in future. And uh, in your in your assessment of uh, the situation, of course, talking to the legal representatives, are we in for uh, yet another protracted legal wrangle? Yes, it seems like it because um, to get place on the Supreme Court role, it, it you know takes a bit of time, and they have to get um, go petition the Supreme Court now to ask if they can bring the application to them. Because they were the application for leave to appeal were denied today, that's now petition petition to the Supreme Court um, to see if they 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 allowed to bring this case to the Supreme Court. Thank you very much uh, to our reporter Lila Machnas. It's uh, 20 minutes past 12.
Our top story this hour, the North Gauteng High Court has ruled that uh, two of the so-called Vater Grove 4 must report back to prison by the 23rd of this month. Looking at the markets this hour, gold is trading at $1,315, platinum at $1,466.50 an ounce. The rand is trading at 9 rand 80 cents against the US dollar, at 15 rand 60 to the pound, and at 13 rand 10 cents to the euro. Don't miss the opportunity to be part of the Durban Business Fair taking place from the 20th to the 22nd of September at the Durban Exhibition Centre. The fair will showcase unique products and services of over 500 exhibitors. You're invited and entrance is free. For more information, visit www.dbnbusinessfair.com, follow them on Twitter at DBN Business Fair, and like their Facebook page, Durban Business Fair. The Durban Business Fair, celebrating 15 years of growing sustainability. Smokey has produced numerous hits over 40 years, and now they're touring South Africa and Namibia from 26 September to 5 October with shows in Puchopstrum, Windhoek, Cape Town, Port Elizabeth, Bloemfontein, and Carnival City. A new Smokey South African collection box set with a DVD and double CD will also be released in September. Smokey in South Africa and Namibia from 26 September to 5 October. Bookings at CompuTicket or visit smokey.co.za. We go to Durban now where the owner of the truck involved in the crash at Fields Hill uh, that claimed uh, 23 lives that was uh, in Pinetown was expected to address the media today. Gregory Governor had said he wanted to clear his uh, name but we told that uh, he didn't show up. Uh, let's talk to our reporter Nankulego Shope who is at uh, the media conference uh, joining us on the line. Nankulego, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Gregory Governor didn't show up. What happened? Um, indeed, uh, we just learned from the media briefing that um, he feared for his life. Apparently, over the weekend, has been getting a number of calls and uh, other sorts of death threats. Then his uh, lawyer, uh, uh, his attorney, uh, read out the statement, you know, uh, highlighting some of his sides of the facts about the track, uh, the state of the track, and also the state of uh, the papers produced by uh, the truck driver, finally May from Sunderland. Mm. And uh, tell us more about uh, the contents of, the, of that uh, uh, report that uh, the, the, the lawyer read out. Okay, basically, um, he says uh, he hired Sanele knowing that he, he had all the documents, but now it has turned out that some of his uh, documents were, fraud, were fraudulent, and, uh, um, and now they are facing the dilemma that um, uh, Sanele was not experiencing. We've also learned that um, he was hired on Monday, then uh, two days after he encountered out uh, this uh, fatal accident. Uh, now um, the, the owner of the truck is in a dilemma because, uh, like, facts are not making up because he had him knowing that he had all the working permits, but now he has left those permits. Uh, permits did not exist. Mm. And uh, in terms of uh, the, 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 the court challenge now, what is going on? Um, we've had some police uh, uh, the, the, who went to, to court that um, uh, the attorney withdraws representing uh, Sanele from the, 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 the truck owner since there are these uh, conflicts. 
um, then now he will have another another lawyer representing him. But now they want to distance themselves from uh, from finally since um, these facts are regarding his working colleagues have emerged, and they also want to kind of maintain the company um, um, status because um, they they say they feel they they were also like um, you know uh, taken. Um, uh, at stake by finally who, who presented these uh, uh, uh papers to them. So now they are, they are distancing themselves from them. And they've also learned that uh, there's a huge um, uh, financial assistance for finally that has been uh, mobilized by, by, by the public. Some people feel that uh, it's just a victim of circumstances. Thank you very much, Nankulego Sope, our reporter in KwaZulu-Natal in Durban. We go now to the Eastern Cape. Another Somali-owned shop has been looted and satellite in Port Elizabeth. Uh, this latest incident occurred at uh, Seisi in the New Brighton, Guazakele area. This after the weekend looting and burning of 10 Somalian national shops in the area. Let's talk to our reporter now, Mkabisi Mgrina. Mkabisi, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Bonya. Bring us up to speed with the, the latest situation. When we spoke to you earlier on, you indicated that uh, you uh, have been advised of uh, more looting uh, taking place. What can you tell us? Well, um, the looting has escalated the surrounding areas of the Brighton area. But what the police now are trying to do is to try and evacuate um, um, the Somali owners um, Somali, um, Somali owners of shops in, um, in Kwazakele, they are moving to a safer area. So by the time that the looting and also the residents get to the, that area, um, they are no longer there at the moment. And, and, and why is this? What sparked this wave of lootings? Well, the report that we got um, from yesterday from the police, that um, um, one of the locals went to buy an airtime to one of the um, foreign national shops. And when he got home, the airtime um, was not working, so he went back to in exchange for his money. But the owner of the shop refused to give um, the, the, the customer his money. And then after that, an argument ensued between the two, and then um, um, one of the foreign national shops allegedly pulled, pulled out the gun and shot the victim three times, and the victim died in the scene at the moment. And I saw um, the shop owner has been arrested and expected to appear in court tomorrow in New Brighton Magistrate Court. Mm. And, and how big a community uh, uh, of Kwazakele uh, are we talking about here that really uh, got angry and started att- attacking the, the Somali nationals? Well, when you need to look at the people that are actually um, taking part in this looting of foreign nationals, it's mostly dominated by the youth around the ages, 16 up to 30 years around those ages. You'll find that um, the elderly people are the ones that are actually saying, saying this is nothing has gone enough in, in Guazakele. That's what the residents are saying, saying, no, if this looting comes here, we're going to deal with these kids. We're not going to let these shop owners move out of this area because we are just the ones that are actually assisting us in getting some of the stuff instead of us traveling from town to buy just um, and, uh, 2.5 kg of sugar instead of just going to, to a neighboring shop and then getting that. Well, uh, talking about the area of Kazakhele, it's quite uh, such a huge area, but it's surrounded by this area that the, the looting has escalated into such a space and also, and and those areas, such a big area. All right, uh, tell us about uh, how the police then are dealing with uh, the situation. You you you're telling us of uh, the escalation of looting right now, and uh, the the situation really getting out of hand. But how are the police dealing with it? 
Well, Bongi, I can tell you, um, um, in, in, in like what I've what I've seen this morning, the police, the, the situation for the police is actually getting out of control because they, they it's not there. There are quite a few um, police vehicles in the area. By the time they are busy at Kwazakele, and then you'll find that another group of people, they are busy looting another shop in Kwando Kwanza. So those police, they have to move from one shop to another shop. Uh, last night, what they did, they stationed, um, stationed, made, let's say, two policemen and also a vehicle in front of, in front of each, um, um, for a national shop. So for them, it's quite difficult to deal with, with this situation where you find there's there's another incident taking place in one area and then another one in the, in another area. So what we've it's been very very busy day for them. We've been following them from all over the place. They moved from one shop. There was also another shop where they had to station one of the two nyanas that were actually patrolling this area because it's one of the big supermarkets where the residents they are targeting the the. the the supermarket sells and staff such as television and TV. So the resident, they wanted to look at that shop. So the police had to stay in that shop, making sure that the resident, they don't actually um, um, go inside the shop. So it's, it's such a difficult situation for them. All right. Uh, thank you very much uh, to our reporter, Mkabisi Mgaina, joining us uh, from uh, the Eastern Cape uh, in the new Brighton, Kwazakele area, where we heard of uh, another Somali-owned shop uh, being looted and satellite in that particular area. There's uh, one uh, tweet coming through from Dow Donna saying that it's funny how Comrade Supra already knows the election results and uh, also talking about the weekend was great but uh, the French ref ruined it with his uh, decision, uh, decisions there they're talking about the box and uh, New Zealand RB must not let the guy ref any game alright must not give uh, this guy any game going forward it's at uh, 12.30 right now and uh, it's time for the news headlines we say good afternoon once again to Sir Utsile Sako And uh, thank you very much, it's, it's uh, 12.30 right now And uh, round about this time, every day, Monday to Friday We make sure that uh, we speak to Shadow Twyla And get a sense of uh, what happens between 1 and 2 Every day, Monday to Friday Shadow, good afternoon Good afternoon On Otherwise, today it is Heritage Month And we get an opportunity to taste the fruits of a collaboration Between award-winning jazz singer and songwriter Melanie Scott And the celebrated poet James Matthews um, Freedom Child is a project which will form part of the Artscape Theatre Heritage Festival, which starts this Wednesday. And uh, Shadow, are you enjoying being on television? <laughs> <laughs> okay, we don't have to answer that now. We'll have to see for ourselves. <laughs> You are so naughty. <laughs> All right. Thank you. We'll, we'll see you there. Thank you very Thank much. You. Shadow Tyler, up next uh, with uh, Otherwise Between 1 and 2 this afternoon. Here on SFM 104 to 107. The debate on whether to spank children or not is under the spotlight once again. Church leaders in South Africa are consulting lawyers to counter what they allege is government's intention to interfere in how they practice their religion. This comes as the Human Rights Commission investigates a Cape Town church for launching a manual guiding parents on how to spank children as young as one year old. To understand this better, we joined on the line by Errol Naidu, Chief Executive Officer of the Family Policy Institute in Cape Town. Uh, Ms. Naidu, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Good to be with you. And what is your position on this issue? Uh, well, firstly, there was a lot of 
inaccurate reporting in the Sunday Times article, the leaders didn't meet in Pretoria to discuss the spanking issue. They met to discuss the issue of religious freedom and the erosion of religious freedom. Uh, a number of churches have been investigated by the South African Human Rights Commission, not before, not because of anything they've done, but because of what they believe, which is the Bible, and for teaching that Bible. And so the, uh, there's an increasing and growing concern amongst Christian leaders of all denominations in the country that the government is beginning to intrude in the legitimate autonomy of the church and, and might be maybe dictating to the church what it can or cannot teach. Mm. And of course, that, that's a great concern because uh, the church, or any other religion for that matter, uh, would find that unacceptable. Mm. Uh, but uh, in, in your view, and of course your position, to spank or not to spank? Well, you know, we believe uh, what the Bible says. And there's, there's many scriptures in the Bible that talk about um, corrective discipline. It says, there's a God for the child. Another scripture says, uh, if, a, if parents do not uh, discipline their children, they do not love their children. Now, it doesn't always mean using a rod or using spanking. Uh, there's other ways of disciplining your children. But if you do need to use the rod, <clears throat> then it, it should be the ultimate decision of the parents of their child when or when not to use discipline. Mm. We don't believe it is government's place to dictate to parents how they can discipline their own children. Um, and, and what government is saying is that, or the Department of Social Development is saying is that we're trying to prevent child abuse. Now, obviously, the entire Christian church in South Africa supports that and will be working and helping government to eradicate child abuse. But disciplining children, and a child discipline by, by loving parents and responsible parents cannot be considered child abuse. But uh, so there's a difference between the two. Uh, Mr. Mr. Naidu, really, uh, this is a human rights issue. It was abolished in South Africa, uh, and uh, even even corporal punishment at schools has been uh, gotten rid of. Why would you want to, to reverse that? Because it's a position now that was taken by government, that was gazetted, and that was agreed to by many South Africans that we don't need spanking. Why go back to that? Uh, no, I think you got your facts mixed up there. Corporal uh, punishment was abolished in the school. Yes, that's what I said. Yes, not by parents. So, so we're not reversing anything. Um, we still believe it is the right and responsibility of responsible parents to discipline their children the way they see fit. If parents are beating up their children and bruising them and hurting them, that would be child abuse and not discipline. And there are laws against that already in our country. So we don't need additional laws for child abuse. We need proper law enforcement for that. Mm. But what we're talking about here is parents in their home disciplining their own children. And government coming into the home and in between the parents and the child and saying, we will tell you how to, to, to uh, discipline your children. That is wrong. Because the family is a, is a fundamental uh, unit of society. I mean, government interferes in the in the family. Uh, it's a recipe for disaster. So the because church, the church is therefore saying that uh, uh, you can discipline your your child by by spanking them. But uh, with uh, with the violence, uh, Mr. Naidu, so rife in in South Africa, uh, really, don't you think that uh, this 
has the potential really to contribute to that and and maybe perhaps why the government saw it fit to say at schools we're not going to allow this yeah, i think you're using extreme examples uh violence and, and so what if, if, a, if, a, if a, a mom thinks uh, a child on the bottom uh gives it two backs on the bottom if they if they rebelling yeah, but 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 it, it it can be a norm for 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 the for the church, but for someone who is not in in the church might not see it as a norm. Uh, it, 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 you can't really turn around and say it's a norm for everyone because it's not a norm for me. I mean, I don't believe in spanking my child, for instance. Yeah, that, and that's fun. You know, nobody's forcing you to believe to believe what you don't believe. What he's saying is, there's a number of parents that don't spank their children. They use other forms of discipline and punishment to be the kids in line, uh, and that's fine. So you're not forced to agree with anybody else. But what I'm saying is, the parents that do use spanking, mm. uh, I don't think government can dictate to them how they should discipline their children, unless, of course, if it's child abuse. That, doesn't it worry you, children. though, Mr. Knight, that the church? Out of all uh, discipline, really, the church can say it's okay to, to hit somebody. It's okay to spank somebody. Whether you're disciplining them or not, it's okay. I mean, and, and what is your definition of a child? Is it someone who's under 21, who's under 18, so that then when we talk about spanking, you can even spank that person? And, and violence then, uh, therefore, it comes to play, which is what I was asking you earlier on. I think responsible and loving parents would know when it is appropriate to spank their children, and I don't think you and I have the right to dictate that to other to other parents just because you have a different view. You're imposing your will and your view, just like government is, on other people, and that's wrong because that then it makes you responsible for all children in South Africa uh, if you want to dictate how they are disciplined. Okay. And we, we don't believe that, that spanking is violence against children. That is a, a liberal experience coming from the United Nations, driven mainly by people who don't even have children and don't mm. understand what discipline means. They're just pushing an ideology uh, because for whatever reason. Uh, the Bible, uh, the Bible is God's word. The Bible instructs parents, don't spare the rod, you spoil the child. Discipline your children. That doesn't mean, it's not saying that you have to use the rod or spanking, but we're talking about discipline and that can mean anything. Okay. And, and I you. know, uh, I know lots of people that have been disciplined by their parents who got a whack with a cane, who got a whack on the bottom when it was necessary and they grew up to be very, very well adjusted people and thank God for the correction okay. of their parents. Mr. Naidu, uh, we've got to have to thank you at that. Thank you very much, uh, Chief Executive Officer of the Family Policy Institute in Cape Town, saying that the church says to spank. It's at 20 minutes to one right here on Midday Live. Talks aimed at ending strike actions by metal workers, union NUMSA members in the petrol and motor industries are expected to resume today. Workers have been on strike since last week in support of their wage demands. And meanwhile, the Fuel Retailers Association is seeking a court interdict against striking NUMSA workers. For a perspective on the effects of the ongoing strike, let's speak to Guy Kilfoy Spokesperson for car manufacturer BMW, who's joining us on the line. Good afternoon to you, sir. 
Fine, Bobby, nice to speak to you. Thank you very much. Uh, the strike entering its second week, surely it has a huge impact uh, on how you do business, uh, BMW producing here and exporting to many other countries. But maybe give us a perspective of how much of, a, of an impact is this? Well, it's the second week in the component industry. You have to remember that we had three weeks of uh, actual strike in our own industry before that. So for us, it's the fifth week of strike, not the second. So the impact runs rather large. We lost 7,900 cars uh, at BMW in the, in the metal workers' strike, uh, which ran from the 8th of uh, the 19th of August until the 9th of September. Uh, we've gone back to work, of course, because our strike is over on uh, uh, Monday last week. But unfortunately, now our component industry is on strike as well. And that means we're not producing cars uh, as we should. So instead of producing 345 cars a day, which is what our plant normally produces, we're currently producing about 85 cars a day. So we're still losing 260 cars a day on top of the nearly 8,000 cars we lost in the first place. Mm. Have, you, have you had to cancel some, some orders? Uh, we've had to uh, uh, change our shift pattern. You know, we work three shifts uh, uh, a day, uh, 24 hours a day, five days a week. And we also work on Saturdays. And certainly we're not running as a three-shift operation at the moment. Uh, from uh, an ordering perspective, uh, you know, cars are ordered uh, from markets all around the world and supplied by Plant Roslin. So uh, some of our export uh, markets are not receiving products from us at the moment. And that's obviously causing a bit of frustration with the customers in those markets. I wouldn't say it's led to cancelled orders, but certainly the cars we've lost, we will not be able to build again, and they are gone. Mm. And, and of course, uh, generally, BMW is a good brand, but uh, what does this then do to the reputation of uh, your, your brand, particularly coming from uh, South Africa to, to other countries? I don't think it damages the brand particularly. Uh, you know, all manufacturers are, are equally affected uh, by a strike of this nature. So uh, any brand impact, uh, any customer taking it as a brand impact would be uh, would be rather naive because all, all brands are suffering this from uh, the same issues at this point in time. But certainly uh, there is a, a large financial cost for the industry. Um, there's a large financial cost for uh, the country. Um, but even larger than that financial cost is the, the, the price of reputation because this damages South Africa's reputation as a reliable uh, partner for, for production. Uh, you know, we, we, we play on a world stage. We export to markets all around the world. And customers in those markets don't have a lot of tolerance for unique circumstances in South Africa. Mm. And, and how are you going to make up for the lost time now? We cannot make up for it, unfortunately. We work 24 hours a day, so there is no opportunity to make up lost production for us. The cars that are lost are lost. Uh, and uh, and uh, unfortunately, uh, that, that, that will have a, a large impact on, on, our, uh, on our results this year, and it will have a large impact on uh, the reputation of the country as well. It's not only lost time and lost money for you, but also it's lost money for lost income, revenue, for, for the employees? For sure it is. You know, uh, you know, I think you have to sympathize with the employees on the one hand. Uh, whilst uh, automotive workers are relatively well paid, they earn more than teachers earn, uh, they are still, uh, um, uh, how would I put it, uh, somewhat of a, a lost sector of the economy. They don't, uh, uh, they don't earn enough to get bank loans to build houses. And they, uh, they certainly earn too much to receive government grants for houses. So, 
on the one hand, you can understand the, the, some of the tensions, but on the other hand, uh, in a country where unemployment is at 25% as an official figure and probably much higher uh, unofficially, um, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, cutting the branch you're sitting on to damage the industries in which you, you work by, by demanding uh, some of the demands that are on the table. Thank you very much, Guy Kilfoyle, spokesperson for car manufacturers BMW, joining us on the line. Just a couple of SMSs on uh, spanking. On spanking, does the government wish to play the role of uh, parenting as well? Uh, God forbids, uh, Fanon over in Cape Town. And this one says, look at the UK where spanking was banned. Do you really want South African children to become as unruly and thuggish as them? Spanking is not a beating and it is a... uh, never to be carried out in anger. I was spanked when I pushed uh, too far. My son was spanked when he was insisting on dangerous behavior, uh, sliding down stairs. My daughter never needed a spank, and uh, she listened to warnings. Jump up just uh, some of the SMSs coming through on 34701 uh, on uh, that spanking, as you heard. Errol Naidu, Chief Executive Officer of the Family Policy Institute in Cape Town, saying that the church is saying... To spank. It's uh, 15 minutes now to one. With that, we say good afternoon to uh, Prandana Naidu of uh, Sasfin Securities as uh, we give you your lunchtime market updates. Prandana, how are the markets looking at the start of a new week? Well, global markets have opened stronger this morning with European stocks hitting a five-year high. This is on the back of Larry Summers' decision to withdraw himself in the race to become the next U.S. Fed chairman. Janet Yellen, who is next in line, is favored by investors as it is believed she would support a slower reduction in stimulus. Over on Wall Street, stocks recorded modest gains last Friday despite a mediocre retail sales report indicating dismal consumer sentiment. The focus has now turned to Washington, where the Fed will decide when and by how much to scale back its asset purchases. Taking a quick look at U.S. futures, the market is set to open positive later this afternoon. On the local front, the JC followed its global counterparts higher in early trade. However, we have turned slightly negative on the back of gold miners retreating in line with the precious metal. In corporate news, famous brand said that it would acquire a 49% stake in leading Nigerian brand Mr. Biggs. The deal will likely boost the group's strategy to expand its presence in Africa, where it has been operating for the past 11 years. Taking a look at the local indices, we've got the gold index down 1%, resources 10 index up 0.1%, industrials 25 down 0.2%, and the financials index is flat. Overall, the market is flat, sitting at 43,590 points. And uh, stocks on the move today, Prandana? On the upside, Redefine is up 2% to 950. Famous Brands up 1.5% to 100 Rand, and Vukile up 1.5% to 16 Rand 50. On the downside, we've got Pinnacle trading lower 2.7% to 23 Rand 50, Elise down 2.7% to 7 Rand 30, and Nepi down 2% to 71 Rand. And uh, please give us your latest market indicators. Gold is currently $1,117 an ounce, Platinum, $1,448 an ounce, and Brent crude, $110 per barrel. And finally, the rand is trading at 9 rand 77 to the dollar, 15 rand 56 to the pound, and 13 rand to the euro. 
All right, I'll tell you what, Prandana, thank you very much. Very well done speaking to you for the first time. She is with Sasfin Securities giving us lunchtime market updates right here on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. It's 12 and a half minutes to one. We go to Syria shortly and get a sense of what is going on there. But just a couple of SMSs also saying that I cannot believe that your guest pitching, hitting kids, spanking cause emotional damages forever. Shem, if this is uh, the church position. And this one from Sal says, Bongi, hitting and spanking are different things and uh, is really nonsense of this uh, corrupt government to try to dictate to us parents on how to uh, raise our kids. Uh, that's uh, Silo in uh, Mokopane there. To Syria we go. France, the United Kingdom and uh, the United States of America are currently briefing the media in Paris, France on their agreement to seek tough United Nations resolutions to the situation in Syria. This as the United Nations inspectors are expected to present a report on the alleged use of chemical weapons by the Syrian government a few weeks ago to the UN Security Council in New York today. Syrian President Bashar al-Assad is uh, said to be in uh, plans to sign a and abide by the Chemical Weapons Convention. French Foreign Minister Laurent Fabien says uh, it is uh, their aim to work towards uh, consolidating their support for a national Syrian coalition. The Syrian um, regime have no other choice but to engage in the destruction of chemical weapons. The weapons uh, that the UN inspectors uh, report will confirm certainly that chemical weapons were indeed used on the 21st of August. What uh, matters now is that this uh, report is, is implemented immediately and also to eliminate the chemical weapons that poses danger for uh, serious neighbors. We have stressed that all options should remain on the tables in case the Syrian regime does not apply. We are trying to get a strong resolution at the Security Council with full authority about the chemical weapons plans resolution that will predict serious consequences if the resolution is not applied. Um, ladies and gentlemen, chemical weapon is just one aspect of the Syrian tragedy. It is a means that the Syrian regime is using to punish its population and the terrible suffering of the Syrian people goes on. French Foreign Minister Laurent Fabien and uh, UK Foreign Minister William Hague says that the accountability for the use of chemical weapons in Syria is vital and uh, three countries will consult on how that will be achieved in uh, the light of uh, the UN inspector's report due to be presented later today. Our first priority is to secure prompt action at the United Nations Security Council that enshrines in a Security Council resolution the Syrian regime's responsibility to hand over its chemical weapons stocks. A resolution, in our view, should create a binding commitment for the regime to give up its chemical weapons within a specific time frame and to credibly, reliably and promptly place them under international control for destruction. 
It is the Assad regime that has stockpiled these weapons and that has used them repeatedly against the Syrian people. So the pressure is on them to comply with this agreement in full. The world must be prepared to hold them to account if they don't. And our three countries are certainly determined to do so. Our goal remains to convene a second Geneva Conference to bring all sides together to agree a political solution to the conflict. And we will work with Russia on bringing that about as soon as possible. In that regard, I welcome the National Coalition's decision to appoint an interim Prime Minister, Ahmed Tomei. There can be no peaceful settlement in Syria without the legitimate Syrian opposition. So the task ahead is very difficult and complex, but our three countries are united and determined to use our full weight as permanent members of the United Nations Security Council to bring about a peaceful end to this appalling conflict. The UK Foreign Minister is uh, William Hugg and the US Secretary of State John Kerry has stressed that they will not tolerate non-compliance by the Syrian government. It is significant that three permanent members of the United Nations Security Council are standing here together, three partners, uh, all joined in unity of purpose and of understanding of what needs to be done. And I want to thank Foreign Minister Fabius and Foreign Secretary Haig for their constant collaboration in these last days as we have worked towards this uh, unique initiative to secure Syria's chemical weapons. And I know that uh, I speak for President Obama when I say we are very grateful in the United States to have such able and willing partners. As I said in Jerusalem yesterday, uh, we're now moving to translate into a broader international effort what was achieved in Geneva with the cooperation of the Russians, uh, with the efforts of President Putin and Foreign Minister Lavrov. But each of us here today are here to emphasize the same thing, that what we achieve in this agreement as we translate Geneva Agreement into a United Nations resolution has to be strong, and it has to be forceful, it has to be real, it has to be accountable, it has to be transparent, it has to be timely. All of those things are critical, and it has to be enforced. John Kerry is the U.S. Secretary of State. Create with Michelle Constant.